We are working through the book of Genesis this year, and we have met a lot of interesting people throughout the last few months. Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Lot. We've learned about their interactions with each other and their relationship with the Lord. I think we've seen things from their stories of things we want to emulate in our lives and things that we do not. I love remembering that the stories are stories of real people who experienced thoughts and feelings and emotions and passions and problems just like we do. They wrestled through the highs and the lows, the hard stuff and the good stuff of life just like us. And I think remembering that helps the Bible to come alive in a more real and exciting way that no matter what century you are born in, people are people. And man, are we weird and fascinating creatures. As we were laying out the Genesis series, one of the things that we noticed, and that I hope you would agree with, is that Genesis is a pretty epic story. So epic, in fact, that the deeper we get into it, the more likely we are to get sucked into the drama of it all. That those are very real people, and they have really fascinating stories. But this isn't just a story that we want to read and be fascinated by because it happened. We want to learn and step into whatever lessons God has for us in this story and his story as a whole so we can apply them to our lives here and now for today. Each time we are about to be introduced to the next big player in the story, we thought we would pause and practically reflect on what we just read. So when we finished the story of creation and Adam and Eve, we practically looked at the rhythms of rest. And I have a slide for that. If you guys remember, we did this, I think the end of January, um, where we walked through why rest so deeply matters for our wholeness and our well-being, how it's a gift from the Lord, and how Jesus invites us into an abiding relationship of rest with him. And then after we wrapped up Noah, we looked at the triangle shape of up, in, and out. Brent walked us through that, how that shape emphasizes the importance of our personal, intimate relationship with Jesus, deepening our relationships with other believers, and then looking outward to bring the light and the love of Jesus to the world. And this week, we are switching the focus from Abraham to his son Isaac. Through another shape that we'll learn together today. It's called the matrix, or the invitation challenge. Essentially, it's an invitation to a relationship and a challenge to transform. Now, with that being said, we've been looking at Abraham as it's told by the author of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. But this isn't the only place that Abraham was listed in the Bible. Roughly 2,000 years after Abraham, an author penned the book Hebrews. And this author sums up a lot of really incredible people stories. And he says, by faith, so-and-so did this. By faith. It's really beautiful. But... He talks about Abraham and his life in just a few short sentences. Let's listen how the author of Hebrews describes Abraham. 
By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So the whole of Abraham's life gets summarized in these few verses. And I think it's pretty interesting what the author chooses to put in and what he leaves out. And that bit about Abraham had kids, even though he was as good as dead. I mean, that is a brutal way of talking about someone that he was, right? Boomer that he was. My kids enjoy calling me boomer sometimes. I don't know why. I'm not. Um, 1977 is still very much a Gen Xer. But I still do double space between sentences because I don't know how to stop doing that. So uh, the author, notice that the author of Hebrews essentially divides Abraham's life into rhythms. Two rhythms. The first one, by faith, when Abraham was called to go, he obeyed and went. And the second, this detail about Abraham making his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And what we've been seeing, that these two rhythms have characterized Abraham's life. There's the go, step out, the challenge of it all. And we spent a few weeks working through that. But then God is also saying to him over and over, I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you. And then, stay and make your home here. Welcome others with warmth and hospitality. Be invitational to strangers. Brent talked about this rhythm last week. Two rhythms. Invitation. Live in a way that causes you to flourish. Be the kind of person who walks out peace and joy and gentleness. Someone who has deep roots. Someone who is deeply hospitable. Someone who even the most cynical person in your neighborhood or school or office would wonder, I don't know why I like them, but I just do. That invitation. And then the challenge, don't stop there. Go to the difficult places, to the people that are hurting. Bring the presence of Jesus to them. Invitation and challenge. But it's not just the story of Abraham. Today, we're going to use it through the lens of relationships, through a story not in Genesis, and I got Brent's thumbs up to jump out of there, but in 2 Samuel. So if you would turn with me to 2 Samuel 11. It's a long passage. I'm going to read it, and then in a couple minutes, we'll break it up. But I wanted to give the whole picture first. So 2 Samuel 11. In the spring... At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabath. But David remained in Jerusalem, 
One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go to his house. David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, have you not just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will do no such thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So, while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had brought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. I'm going to pause here for a moment in the story and show you the image of invitation and challenge. So it's a matrix, and we'll walk through each quadrant. Is it up there? Carter, can you pop up? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Um, and then we're going to use it as a lens to look through that story of David. No pun intended, but I invite you to think about the different relationships in your life where they may fit into these quadrants. So the one in the bottom right corner is high. So we have invitation on the top, challenge on the side there. 
the high challenge, low invitation. It's a stressed culture. If you have high challenge and low invitation, you don't really have a deep relationship. You're discouraged, you're overworked, you're exhausted, you're frazzled, you're burnt out. I think of Bobby Knight in that moment, throwing his chair. We have a picture of him. My dad showed this to Gabe, and Gabe's eyes were huge this winter of this story. And then I remembered Micah Childress is a real big um, Indiana University fan. So I texted him and I said, hey, can I mock you this week? But look, check this out. Watch this moment. There's like one person in red right there. That is our very own Micah Childress. (laughs) But I also, to tie that in, is he taught um, Invitation Challenge and I learned from him And he also used the words grace and truth um, with the invitation and challenge. And so while I am teasing him, I also learned something really beautiful from him, and I haven't forgotten that. So when you think of invitation and challenge, you can also think of grace and truth. So a life of um, high challenge, low invitation leads to stress, distress, anger, and it's really a dangerous place to spend a lot of time in. And then next to it, we have low invitation, low challenge. It's the bored culture. You're not engaged. You're not involved. There's nothing pushing you. You feel really apathetic. You're kind of asleep, dead. It's kind of irrelevant. And then we have high invitation and low challenge, which is the cozy culture. Now, I wrestled with this one when I first learned it because cozy is one of my favorite words. It's like, that's how I want you to feel when you come in my house. But it's consumer, it's complacency when you think of it with relationships. It's like a box of puppies. Like, you just love them. They're puppy breath and they're wiggly little bodies and you just love the puppy. And it's, it's invitational. It's like your favorite sweatshirt right out of the dryer, right? It's warm and it's cozy. It's kind of an average small group kind of relationship, maybe with friends at work. And I used to think Mr. Rogers was a really good example of cozy culture, right? He has his cozy cardigan, he zips it up, he flips one tennis shoe to the other hand, he teaches you about crayons, you've got this cool trolley. But I think I was wrong, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute, when I was thinking about this this week. He absolutely created a safe, warm, cozy space, but he was more than that. And in that board culture, you have very limited growth, personal growth, or growth in relationship. And then you have high invitation and high challenge. That is the discipling culture. There's empowerment. It's deeply relationship, deeply relational. You have the comfortability in your relationship for both the invitation and the challenge, for the grace and the truth. So let me tell you why I think Mr. Rogers is a beautiful and a real example of invitation and challenge. Who watched that show? Yes, that was the best. We didn't watch a lot of TV growing up, but Mr. Rogers was one we got got to watch. So even though it was a television screen, Mr. Rogers built that relationship with his audience. He was kind, he was trustworthy, he had done the work of building the relationship 
before he brought a great challenge. In the late 60s, Mr. Rogers knew that pools continued to refuse entry to black people and that racial tensions were rising. So he thoughtfully sent an intentional message in the spring of 1969 on an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. During the show, Mr. Rogers invited Officer Clemens, who was a black police officer, to cool his feet with Mr. Rogers in the waiting pool. Officer Clemens initially declined the invitation, saying he didn't have a towel. But Mr. Rogers said Officer Clemens could share his. So the actions in that episode weren't complex. The two men took off their shoes and socks, they rolled up their pants, and they swished their feet around together in a little children's pool on a hot day, chatting and laughing together. Mr. Rogers' challenge was that he demonstrated that a black man and a white man could peacefully share the water. When Officer Clemens needed to leave, he took the towel from Mr. Rogers and he used it to dry his feet. Mr. Rogers got out of the pool right then and he went to dry his feet using the same towel. This casual intimacy exposed the bigotry of denying black citizens access to pools or any other place in society. What a beautiful and real example of invitation and challenge. In this quadrant, this is where breakthrough happens. This is where the transformation happens in your life. It's giving relational access to your life because you have intentionally built a relationship with someone. It's that kind of relationship where there is the intentional dance, a rhythm between invitation and challenge, between grace and truth, where there's freedom and safety within that relationship to express your thoughts and your feelings. So now that we know this, let's go back and look at the story of David and see the different parts of each of these quadrants. So we'll start with the board culture. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabath, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. That wo the woman was very beautiful. So let's talk about David here. King David. The verse starts off with, when kings go off to war. Except he didn't. He was home, staying back from his duties. He was slacking. He was bored. And you know how we can tell he was bored? Is because David was in bed in the evening. The Bible doesn't say it was nighttime. So he was bored just loafing around. Then he aimlessly wandered up onto his roof and looked out. Can't you just imagine this lackadaisical pose looking out over, over his city? Suddenly, David, though, he hones in on something. He could see his neighbor bathing. So that tells us it was light enough to still see. When you imagine this scene, we see that David was bored. 
but that's about to change. He asks about her. He sends for Bathsheba. He sleeps with her that night, and she becomes pregnant. So now let's bounce to the cozy culture. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was, how the soldiers were, how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants, and he did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah didn't go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said, stay here one more day. Tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat again among the master servants. He did not go home. So David had done something wrong. He casually invited Uriah over. Hey, buddy, what's new? How's it going? How's the war? What's happening? A quick little friendship. Invited him over for a beer. Don't you miss your beautiful wife? Go home to her. David was complacent, and he wanted Uriah to go home and fix his sin. But I wonder, in that cozy relationship he was trying to have, if underneath David was stressed, and he was doing anything he could to fix his problem. So now we'll look at stressed. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he, will be, so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's armies fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. So David is angry that Uriah didn't do what he wanted him to do. He's terribly stressed. So he has Uriah killed. He essentially murders him. He did not want his sin to be found out. He was covering it up. Stress, stressful relationships, stressful situations can cause us to be angry, causing our tensions to rise. It can cause us to react because we are stressed to do things out of character. And then let's look at the breakthrough or the discipling culture. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan was a prophet in Israel during this time, and he was an advisor to David. They had built a relationship and a friendship. So when Nathan came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. 
Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. So Nathan knew David and had built a relationship with him. He was highly invitational in that conversation, in his relationship with David, by confronting him with a story. David felt comfortable enough with Nathan to listen. He was moved by the story he shared with him. Nathan's challenge to David came from a place of invitation. He created a space for David to see where he needed to grow. As we can see through David's life, we are all over the quadrant. I, I drew it here too. In different facets, in different relationships in our life. If you think of different people in your life, relationships that you have, you can kind of ping yourself on that quadrant, on the matrix. But our heart and our goal is to begin to grow and begin to dwell and reside here in the discipling culture in the healthy relationships with people we care about. This is our aim. Invitation and challenge. Grace and truth. It wasn't just Abraham's life. It wasn't just David's life. We see the principle of invitation and challenge woven throughout the pages of Scripture. We've used the word discipleship a lot here um, at Harbor Life the last few months. And as Harbor Churches, we have defined it as becoming like Jesus and helping others do the same. So let's look at Jesus and see how he emulates invitation and challenge. Turn with me to John 8, because here is a beautiful example of God wanting us to see the invitation and challenge in Jesus' life. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early next week, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? When we read this story, I wonder if we can attempt to read this through the lens of this woman. A woman who leaned into a relationship that offered her a comfort or a coziness of sorts. And I picture those Pharisees leading this woman through a sea of people only to put her in front of others to expose her sins. No compassion, no care for her as a person. Zero invitation, but all kinds of challenge. My heart breaks for her, for the pain, the anguish, the humiliation, all of it that moment. We can see the examples of the cozy and the stressful relationships right here in that first paragraph. And we continue. 
They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. All eyes in that group were on that woman. All eyes waiting to see how this moment plays out. And I just love this. Jesus does something so interesting, so strange. Jesus knelt down and he wrote in the dirt. The focus was on this woman. The eyes of intense judgment were on her. And Jesus simply knelt. You can almost picture the irritated and mad Pharisees over this moment. The confused crowd looking at each other wondering, what in the world is he doing? Some scholars view this act as a way of Jesus directing the attention away from her and onto himself. I think that is so precious. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Neither do I. Picture Jesus, his warm brown eyes filled with a deep love, looking into her soul. An invitation into a relationship. How often do you think she walked through life feeling condemned? How often do you think she walked through life feeling judged? And then to have Jesus, the Messiah, say, neither do I. What an extraordinarily powerful, life-changing, tender, beautiful moment for her. But what does Jesus say after that? Does he say, well, great, you're not condemned. You are free to do as you please. Go live your life. No. Jesus does something even better. He invites her into a relationship with him for an opportunity to transform, to flourish. Jesus says to her, he says to us, the life you are living right now is not an existence that truly gives you life. So turn from the ways, from the things that are keeping you from me, keeping you from a life of flourishing. Through your relationship with me, transform, live in freedom, walk out your life in freedom because of my love, because of my kindness. Repent, turn away from the allegiances and the priorities that are not life-giving to you. Go and sin no more. Jesus gives a high invitation to her in front of a whole crowd of people. The power of this act should resonate with us. It's one thing for someone you admire or look up to to say something to you behind closed doors in a one-on-one conversation. 
But when they support you and show how much they care about you in front of others, that's invitation. And then privately, Jesus challenges her to repent, to turn, to live a life of flourishing. And this is critical because the challenge is to become more like Christ. And that is when discipleship happens. Becoming like Jesus and helping others do the same. I want us to recognize something in Jesus' messages. And it's not just his messages, but it's the rhythm throughout the Bible, a rhythm of discipleship in relationships that we see throughout the biblical narrative. It's the rhythm of invitation and change. Throughout Jesus' interactions, we see him inviting others into a new life, but going further and challenging them to be transformed so that they can find a life of flourishing that comes from him. Time and time again, we see this rhythm. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, one of my favorite verses so beautifully depicts this. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Invitation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Challenge. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Invitation. And in Mark 3, we read, Afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Invitation. Then he appointed 12 of them, and he called them apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach. Challenge. Over and over throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus offering the invitation and extending the challenge. It's through the balance and the rhythm of that invitation challenge or grace and truth that we build deep, lasting, true relationships with those we walk out our days with. Real, meaningful relationships, relationships with depth, are encompassed by the rhythm of invitation and challenge, the rhythm of grace and truth. Intentionally building this rhythm into the fiber of our being and the fiber of our relationships that we have in our lives, grow these relationships into something true. I'm going to draw out the matrix for you and explain it a little bit more for what to do if you're stuck in quadrants you don't want to be in anymore. And I'm going to be vulnerable and tell you about my relationship with one of my brothers. I'm the oldest of six kids. My brother Matt is number three, and I'm six years older than him. We've been best friends, genuinely enjoying each other's company, finding the same things funny, confidence most of our lives. He's 39 years old, a husband, a dad, a major in the U.S. Army, and I still only call him Bud or Buddy. He's my little brother. As in all families, we've been through some junk through the lives, through our lives. Am I the only one that has that in family stuff? Okay, a few. Well, over a, a little over a year ago, something happened in our family. Nothing he or I did, 
but we both responded differently. Our temperament, our family systems, yes, they are still at play even when you left the house in 1996. He's 90% logic, I'm 90% emotion, or feeling. I put the word feeling. I wrote emotion first, and I was like, no, feeling, because I do have a little logic. <laughs> there were conversations with other siblings. There were stories created. Different narratives were told. Feelings were established. There was a whole lot of layers at play. And our relationship shifted. Some time went by. We stopped chatting on the phone. Our text consisted of like our Wordle score or maybe something we thought the other one would find funny. Nothing of the substance or the relational stuff that mattered to both of us. I can't speak for my brother, but there's a couple things I wish I would have done differently. So where in the world are we on this matrix? It kind of feels like a tsunami whipping us around between cozy board and stress, but as I really thought about this, I think we're in the board category. Kind of apathetic, we're not really engaged with one another, we can't change that thing that happened, but we can work to change where he and I are. And I will acknowledge that is not easy. So I'm going to walk a minute through this, and then I'll finish the story of how to get out. How, if you're stuck, what do you do? I might have to turn it. You guys probably can't see, can you? Is that good? Okay. So if, so for my brother and I, actually, let's start with cozy. If you're in the cozy category, right, you're, you're just enjoying each other's company, laid back, there's really low challenge, you can't just go from cozy to discipleship. It doesn't work that way because if all of a sudden there's a little bit of a challenge, you have to travel a bit through the stressed area before you can reach the discipleship. Because learning to challenge someone is difficult when you haven't ever done that before. When you're always cozy, you're always getting along, you're always buddies, right? The stress is going to happen for a minute, but it's okay because you've got a good reward at the end. If you are in the stressed category, there is no way you can go to here, right? It's the same thing. You're going to have to go into the cozy category for a bit. You've got to build relationship. You need to invest. You have to get to know the heart of someone before you can challenge them. So this is a place of healing. Now, this is where I'm at right here in this weird board space, and what do I do? There's a couple options, I think. I think, number one, to have a conversation, you're going to have to go into the stress. You've got to have a conversation. You, you've, you've got to face something. And in that is the stress category. Because if I went from board here, I don't think it'd be true discipleship. 
Because the cozy thing that you're doing, what is that, like maybe like every Wordle score, every meme that I think is, that he think is funny? Like I, I, don't, I don't think that is a way to do it. So this area here is going to get me to the discipleship space that I truly long to be in. Now, one last thing about this. With the discipleship, it's not like a straight arrow like this. You're not always going straight. It's more of a squiggly line where sometimes there's more challenge, sometimes there's more invitation. So it's kind of more of something like this. It's fluid, it's moving, your relationship is comfortable. You might be in the cozy for a while, but if you've built a relationship and it's kind of like, okay, we gotta talk about this, then you move over on the other side. But this is the heart of where you want to be in your relationships, moving from invitation to challenge where it's just natural. It's just a part of your relationships. So I offered a conversation to him a couple months ago, and he didn't really bite. I didn't know I was going to share this story, but yesterday morning I was in my room drinking my coffee, and I was working on my message, tweaking the last bits like I normally do on a Saturday morning. And I got a text from him. It was a long text with some questions that he had for me about the situation. And he ended it with, I love you and I've always valued our relationship. Please respond to these. Well, if that is not a real invitation challenge moment, I don't know what is. I told him I had a full couple days, but I absolutely would get back to him and that I feel the same way, that I love him and value our relationship. I'm hopeful, but like I said, I know getting out of this board category means we're going to have to go through that stressed quadrant, and I'm not excited about that. But, well, and I don't know how it's going to turn out, but in first Thessalonians 5, we read, He who calls you is faithful. Do you see it? It's another invitation. It's another challenge. He who calls you, God's calling us to do this. That's a challenge. But the invitation is, he is faithful. So that verse, that does not promise me that this, that this conversation is going to go well. It doesn't promise us that all will be well but it does promise us that what he calls us to do, he is faithful. And that is precious. So why does all of this matter? My story, the matrix, I think it matters because this mattered to Jesus. Because people mattered so much to him. In the last moments before Jesus ascended, Jesus took his disciples up to the Mount of Olives where 41 days earlier, the night before he was crucified, Jesus wept in prayer where he begged God to take this cup from him, where he surrendered, where he said to God, not my will but yours. It was where Jesus was arrested. It was where his disciples fled and left him alone with his captors. And I wonder if that's why Jesus took them there. It was one of their favorite places together. And I wonder if he brought them there for another layer of their healing. Listen to the words of invitation and challenge from Jesus to his disciples, to us. 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That is the challenge for us. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And that is the invitation. Again, Jesus extends challenge and he offers invitation in those very last moments before his feet left this earth. Jesus turned to those ragamuffin boys who were his disciples with a heart exploding with love for them, with a heart exploding with love for all of us, for you and for me. He gave them words laced with invitation and challenge to build relationship and to share in his love. These are the exact two rhythms we see Jesus giving his disciples in his farewell moments. His farewell sermon to them, which we call the Great Commission. This stuff matters to Jesus. People matter to him. Healthy, flourishing relationships matter to him. Heal, healed, whole, honest relationships matter to him. Invitation and challenge, grace and truth matter to Jesus. The challenge for us today is clear, and it's laid out through these invitational words of him. Become like Jesus and learn to love people and walk in relationship together in the gentle rhythm of invitation and challenge. Becoming like Jesus and helping others to do the same. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for that. Thank you for the invitation, Father, wooing us, and for the challenge, Lord. Father, I pray for us in this room. I pray for me, Lord, and the conversation that I will have this week. Lord, if the people here that will have conversations this week to move from a quadrant, God, that you have called us out of, into something deeply relational. God, give us the courage, give us the strength. Father, give us the obedience. Father, give us the humility. Lord, to look at something differently, to look at a situation through your eyes or to look at the person through your eyes, Father. Thank you, God, that you are faithful for what you call us to do, God. You are so faithful. You are so good to us. In your precious name, amen.